Welcome to the True North Podcast. This podcast is about navigating through today's culture in the direction that lands at the heart of God. Let's go! Good morning. How's everybody feeling this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Look at somebody near you say, I'm so glad you're here this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Coming after me. I was so glad that uh, mom pointed out that picture, one of the many pictures in the lobby. I, I encourage you before you leave, take if you have to, take a picture on your phone of the pictures in the lobby. And just think about them. Just think about the truth in them, because they're all true. They're all the gospel. But I mean, like, no matter how you feel, you are the one sheep that God forsakes the 99 to come after. And what's cool is when a shepherd would, you know, when Jesus is describing the, the great shepherd, talking about Papa, he doesn't say that the great shepherd, he forsakes the 99 sheep and goes. And once he finds that one sheep, boy, I'm going to wear you behind now. I done told you stop jumping on it. I done told you stop getting out the gate. I done told you wait till we get back and your mama sees you. Your mama sheep, we're going we're gonna to be you being bad sheep. <laughs> We don't see Jesus saying that. I couldn't help it. It was right there, and I had to go for it. But no, he, he forsakes the 99. Well, you know, and, and in order to forsake something, to, in order to forsake the masses, to pursue after the one, must mean that you view the one greater than the masses. We've talked about it, but when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is the upside-down kingdom. And the way this world operates, Jesus is the opposite of that. And the world says you, got to, you have to go after the masses. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm, I'm going. I will gain the masses one by one. We live in a world now where it says you got to grow the church. You got to have multiple services. You got to grow it to where it's uh, the parking lot's so big. You got to have a thousand members in order to have an impact. When Jesus had a global impact with 12 dudes, a few fishermen, a former tax collector, a former zealot, two sons of thunder. Those are my favorites. Years from now, you know, year, 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 decades, centuries from now, make sure the boys put on, on days, you know, George Lee Mouth Jr., son of thunder. I want, I want that. Son of thunder, I want that. But he turned the world upside down with 12 people. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Like I said earlier, but welcome to Cooper's Grove. Welcome to Cooper's Grove. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 22 this morning. If you don't, it's all good. We'll put it on the screen.
last Sunday was Resurrection Sunday, and I know, you know, most time the trend is, okay, well, once Resurrection Sunday is, now we go back to talking about what, you know, what we've been talking about. Now we get back to the real stuff. No, at the cross and everything after the cross, that's, that's where we come alive. We read it last week, but in Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, literally Paul says that his death was your death too. His burial was your burial, and his resurrection is our resurrection. So guess what? From the cross, we have been born. Amen. We've been born again. Amen. We have a new life. We get to walk in newness of life. If that isn't enough, God gave us a, a bonus. The mercy and grace meter starts over every morning. Like one of my favorite artists, he says, we get a new 24, new 24 hours of mercy and grace. Doesn't mean that we go exploit it. Doesn't mean that we go cuss everybody out, cut people out in traffic, and go off at the, at the restaurant staff for being slow. And then like, okay, well, it's all good. New 24, we're going to start in the morning. <laughs> Some people, I, I, I remember back in college whenever we would get ready to fast. You know, the night before the fast, me and my roommate, here we are in Chattanooga, stuffing Krispy Kreme donuts. We got to get it in. These next 21 days, you know, it's going to be rough. So we, we got to get it out while we can. Now, that's, that's not how it works, amen? amen? That's not how it works. Not how it works. But because of what Jesus has done, we are supposed to be able to take that and out of gratitude, out of appreciation. Man, Lord, you died for me. and You didn't have to, but you chose to. Lord, because that I surrender my life to you, because that I want to please you, I want to please you with my words. I want to please you with the way I dress. I want to please you with the things I watch or the things I allow to enter into my heart. I want to please you with the people that I hang out with. I want to please you. I want to please you. So if that's the case, if we make I want to please you the filter and we filter everything through our life, then we're always considerate of him. Not, not, not in the way of, well, maybe if I do this, I'll please you. No, your existence pleases God. But knowing that, okay, if I, I already start at the place of I, I wake up in the morning, I'm already pleasing God. But, but you know what? Do, the friends I hang out with, do they please God? The things I watch, the things I listen to, are those pleasing to God? Amen? Amen. But Luke chapter 22, we read this last week, and just to kind of briefly go over it just real quickly, but verse 14 and 15, literally says this, When Jesus arrived at the upper room, he took his place at the table along with all the apostles. Then he told them, I have longed with passion and desire to eat this Passover lamb with you before I endure my suffering. So if you have, if you unaware, this is talking about the Last Supper. And we said it last week, but when Jesus said, I have longed with passion and desire to eat of this Passover lamb with you. By Jesus saying that, he's saying, he's saying literally, I have longed with passion and desire to eat this meal with you. He's inviting all believers. Somebody say all. all. He's inviting all of us. Of every time and space, not just in that moment, but even us today, those in the future, those that came before us, he's inviting everybody of every time and every place to consider how passionately he longs, to, he longs for communion with us at his table. He's inviting every person to his table, every person, every walk of life, every time period. Because when we read this, obviously we weren't back there, but when we read this, we can gather that, you know what, Jesus desires me to be at his table. And he didn't say, ah, man, I, I've longed passionately for you guys to be at the table with me so we can eat this communion because y'all have read enough of the Torah. 
or because y'all have kept up every Jewish tradition or because y'all have, y'all have attended Tabernacle every day, you, you got a hot streak going. He never mentions their performance. Why? Because Jesus doesn't consider your performance. The only performance worth considering is his. Amen? That's a bar right there. The only performance worth considering is his. Let's get down to verses 31 through 34. But literally, 31 says, Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. So this is talking about the uh, Jesus is saying this. Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Satan has obtained permission to come and sift you out like wheat and test your faith. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. Remember this, after you have turned back to me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. I'm going to read verse 32 one more time. But I have prayed for you. Jesus said, I have prayed for you. Let Just pause for a minute. How powerful is that? The fact that Jesus prays for Peter. Amen. Well, Lindsay, that's just Peter. Well, the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. So not only is he praying, not only does we see Jesus praying for Peter, but guess what? We know that he is praying for us. Somebody point, somebody point at yourself, say me. me. The person you see in the mirror, that's who he prays for. That's who he intercedes for. Amen. amen. You know, there's this old there's this old song. I remember come on the infomercial. I used to hate it as a kid. You were always on my mind. You were always on my mind. You know, though, as a kid, the reason I didn't like it, because most time that infomercial always came on after the cartoons were over. So then you knew it was official. You were always on my mind. No more, you know, Power Rangers. You were always on. You know, but when I think about that, when I read this verse, instantly that song comes to my life, my, my mind, because if he is interceding for us, that means that we are on his mind. Amen. You are on his mind. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> but finishing out verse 32, uh, that you stay faithful to me no matter what comes. Remember this, after you have turned back to me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your what? Brothers. Brothers. So I love this because Jesus told Peter that Peter was going to abandon him by informing him of his future restoration. He, he, he hinted that, hey, you're going you're gonna to forsake me, but he didn't say those words. He told him, I can't wait. I can't wait for when you're restored. And then when you're restored, I want you to strengthen the faith of your brothers. So when Jesus said this, the, you know, Jesus literally, he is focused on Peter being at one with him again. The only reason we know and the only reason Peter knew that he was going to abandon him three times because Peter, when Jesus told him, hey, I can't wait for you to be restored. And then when you're restored, I want you to strengthen the, 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 the faith of your brothers. Out of pride, Peter's like, what were you talking about? I, I'll never forsake you. I'll never forsake you. And then Jesus like, well, I mean, since you brought it up, oh, you're going to forsake me. You're going to forsake me three times. And by the third time, the crow will or the rooster will crow. But literally, Jesus, obviously, Jesus was aware of Peter's running away, but was joyfully anticipating Peter's return. Because he didn't start the sentence off with, Peter, you're going you're gonna to leave me. You're going to run away. You're going to abandon me. You're going to deny me three times. No, he started off with, hey, when you're restored, I need you to strengthen the faith of your brothers. Which means that all Jesus was focused on was being one with Peter again. Now, Jesus wasn't dumb. He, he wasn't, you know, unaware that Peter was going to run away. But just like, you know, you got to think about it this way. If Jesus is solely focused on Peter being at one with him again, obviously he knows that he's going to run away. 
you know, when I was thinking about that, you got to think about it this way. In Luke chapter 15, the pictures on the wall in the lobby. But Luke chapter 15, why was the father of the prodigal son, why was he standing at the edge of the road? I mean, you look at the rest of the story. He had, he had a farm to tend to. He had a whole house. He had servants. He had those things to keep him busy. He wasn't just standing at the, at the edge of the road like, oh, I got nothing to do. And obviously, he was a very wise man. Let's just, let's just get in between the verses for a minute. Obviously, he was a wise man because he had a big amount of wealth. Lindsay, how you know he had a big amount? He had so much wealth that he had enough to give to both of his sons and still be good, still be paying servants. Because we see at the end, the servants came and da-da-da. So he didn't, you know, he didn't go bankrupt blessing his son. So in order to get that wealth, the man had to be smart. So, Lindsay, why are you saying, I'm saying that to say this. So he was smart enough that he knew that when he gave his son this inheritance, he knew that, you know what, you're not ready for it. So he knew he was going to fall. So, but he gave it to him anyway. He said, you know, I'm going to give it to you anyway. And in his heart, I'm going to stand by the edge of the road and I'm just going to wait. Now, see, this is the difference between that father and us. Because, see, that father, he's standing at the edge of the road. Us, we be standing. Watch the little knucklehead. He's going to come on back. What I, see, there you are. Uh-huh, I see you. I told you. Told, told you you weren't ready for it. Oh, you thought you something. You thought you something. You thought, got your license. You thought you could do a little thing. What, what happened? What happened? You eat with the pigs. Yeah, you want some bacon? No, you ain't going to get no bacon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, get on, get, get on back there with Jeremiah and all them. Go on, you, you clean some stalls and we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk at the dinner. That's what we would be doing. We'd be standing at the road. We would be standing at the edge of the road, inspired to say, I told you so. But Jesus, he tells a story, and Jesus literally mirrors this story by telling Peter, I can't wait for you to be one with me again. Why did he do that? Because, listen, Jesus reflects the heart of the father. And Jesus said that the heart of the father looks like the prodigal son's father in that story. The father is standing at the edge of the road, not not inspired to say, I told you so, but he was inspired with hopeful anticipation, looking forward to the day that he would be one with his son again. Just like Jesus was looking forward to the day, he said, Peter, I can't wait for you to be restored. And then when you're restored, go strengthen the faith of your brothers. So, so that father, he knew that the son was going to come back. And instead of him being like, I told you so, the moment he saw him, that helpful anticipation exploded. And if you go look at the picture out there, it's my favorite one. You look at the picture, you see the son, his head is down as he's walking. Woo, I could, mm. But when you look at the picture, you see the father running, arms stretched wide. Ah! Who else do we know? Arms were stretched wide. That even in the midst of our darkness, even at the deep, we said it last week, when there was no direction left to go, when he went to the very bottom of your insecurity, the very bottom of your anxiety, the very bottom of every mistake and every slip up that you've made, when there was no direction left to go. John chapter 1 verse 14 says that G, the word of God was rejected. And when he was rejected, what else was there left to do? The word became flesh and lived among us, lived our type of life. And in that picture shows the father, his arms are stretched wide as he's running. Listen, I, I've, watched, I've watched our boys out on the fields and bless their hearts. We, we're trying to teach them to run, but they just, they watch so much cartoons and read so many books and all this. They run, they, they base off their running what they see. So when, so when they run, they put their arms back. And we tell, and, and sometimes, you know, they'll run like this. I'm like, speed up. And they'll, 
throw them arms back. And it's a trend. All the kids do it. I don't know why, but all the kids, you know, run like Naruto and run like Sonic. And just, and sometimes, you know, they're like, Daddy, did I run like Sonic? No, you didn't. <laughs> you ran like Sonic's, you know, twice removed step cousin. That's what you ran like. He ain't even in the show because he's so slow. That's, that's what you was running like. But, you know, I've always, I've, I have also noticed that when they're happy and running, they're not running like this when they're happy. They're just, whoo, just running. <laughs> hands up, they don't care. And in the picture, we see the father, his hands are up, which means he's not running out of bitterness. He's not pursuing the son out of aggression. He's not pursuing the son out of judgment. He's not pursuing the wayward son out of bitterness. He is pursuing the son out of hopeful anticipation. That he, can't, he, he doesn't know what to do with himself. And, that, and Jesus, he's like that with Peter. He said, I can't wait to be one with you again. I can't wait to be one with you again. And just like with Peter, Jesus isn't interested in I told you so. Any Christian that's interested in I told you so is not walking in the love of God. Speaking to myself. Any Jesus follower that, that, find, that revels in the I told you so is not walking in the love of God. Right. But just like Peter, Jesus, he's not interested in I told you so. He has his heart set on you being one with him. Just as the Father and Spirit are one with each other. That's what he prayed in John chapter 17 before he went to the cross. He said, Father, I, now that I've made your name known to them, let them be one with us as we are one. That, that was his desire. Unity, union. We've talked about it before. Now look at this in verse 54 through 62. The religious leaders, they seized Jesus, led him away, but Peter followed from a safe distance. They brought him to the home of the high priest where people were already gathered out in the courtyard. Someone had built a fire, so Peter inched closer and sat down among them to stay warm. Now watch this. A girl noticed Peter sitting in the firelight. You've probably heard the story before. But staring at him, she pointed him out and said, this man is one of Jesus' disciples. Peter flatly denied it. So here's number one, saying, what are you talking about, girl? <laughs> in, my, in my translation, he's like, what are you talking about, girl? But, you know, in this, we just have, what are you talking about? It's left to our own imagination and interpretation. But in the Lindsay Mellon translation, that wouldn't be a question mark. It would be an exclamation point after the girl. But I don't know him. A little while later, someone else spotted Peter and said, I recognize you. You're one of his. I know it. And Peter again, number two, I'm not one of his disciples. Verse 59, about an hour later, someone else identified Peter and insisted he was a disciple of Jesus, saying, look at him. He's from Galilee, just like Jesus. I know he's one of them. But Peter was adamant, listen, I don't know you. Or I don't know what you're talking about. Don't you understand? I don't even know him. While the words were still in his mouth, the rooster crowed. Verse 61, at that moment, the Lord who was being led through the courtyard by his captors turned around and gazed at Peter. All at once, Peter remembered the words Jesus had prophesied over him. Before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And then Peter burst into tears, ran off from the crowd and whipped better or bitterly excuse me wept bitterly he wept bitterly you know when it comes to relationships I remember in when we were in high school and when uh have you ever heard that the phrase Facebook official anybody ever heard the phrase Facebook official I'm so glad I get to get to educate y'all so one of the one of the funny things is when people get in relationships you know 
You know, they, they doesn't matter how long they've been together. Unfortunately, we live in a society, it doesn't matter how long they've been together. You know, you're not official until you're Facebook official. You know, I remember when I, when I met Kelsey, and that's, that's, that's a story for the ne- another day. And it, in my mind, it was official. In her heart, it was probably official. But because we are millennials and we live in this society, when it was, one was able to put it on Facebook, it's like, oh, so, so good. Now, Facebook didn't change anything. It just made public what was already done, you know, between our hearts. But we live in the society now, you know, if you get a new car, man, it ain't a, it ain't a, it ain't a new car until you post it on, on Facebook. Instagram, that's right. You eat a good meal, you eat a good meal, well, it ain't good unless you post a picture. Of it. And I've been guilty, you know, if something's so good, I'm like, I got to post a picture of this. This is so good. And, what, and the sad thing is, you know, the picture goes to your camera roll. How, nobody ever goes back through the camera roll to look at, oh, man, you remember that one time we ate that meal? Let me go look. Man, look at that meal. That's such a good meal. Mm-hmm. The plate was so pretty and shiny and so clean. Look at the color. Nobody does that. You know, it, you know and we live in a society where if it, it's official when you post it publicly. Well, in my mind, you know, when Peter, by the third time, that aban- his abandoning of Jesus. He already denied him once, not once, not twice, but three times. But the second time, he's still denying him. But in my mind, when he, when he gets to the third time, it's just like Facebook official, boom, it's official. And the Bible says that after he denied him the third time, not, not even as, as soon as the words got out of his mouth, the rooster crowed. The rooster crowed. And I picture this scene like a movie where literally everything stopped. Because the Bible said that after he denied him, the rooster crowed, and Jesus was being led away. But once Peter, as soon as he got the words out of his mouth and the rooster crowed, the Bible says that Jesus turned and looked at him. And in my, in my mind, in my, in my fan of the chosen show, everything just stops. Lindsay, that didn't really happen. I don't know. That's why I said in my mind. But as everything's, as everything's going, I don't know. I told y'all I don't know him. Everything just stops. And the Bible says that Jesus turns and gazes upon Peter. See that we uh, y'all know that word gaze because we we talked about it before. But if you don't know the word gaze, it means to look intently, to look at something with intent, to look deeply into it. And the Bible says that Jesus gazed; he deeply looked upon Peter. But watch this: if Jesus, I didn't even think about this, I didn't even notes. But if Jesus reflects the heart of the Father, all right. And Jesus said the father is like the father in the prodigal son story where the father is running. So how did Jesus gaze upon Peter? See, somebody abandoned us when we gaze upon them. Or we're looking at them with just, how could you? But if Jesus is gazing upon him, if he is reflecting the heart of the father, and we see the father when he gazes upon his son uh, far off, he didn't gaze at him with bitter eyes, but he gazed at him with hopeful anticipation. How do you think Jesus is looking at Peter? Let that, let that sit for a minute. But another thing is, the Bible says that Jesus gazed at Peter. Never said that Peter looked back at Jesus. Why? Because at this moment, Peter is too full of guilt and shame. At this moment, Peter's literally like, I cannot believe, I can't even look at him. He, he knew what direction, he knew where Jesus was. He knew the direction that Jesus would be led away. You know, he probably felt the eyes of Jesus, but in this full out of guilt and shame, he couldn't, he couldn't bear to raise his head and look up at Jesus. 
You ever been there before where you've done something, you're, you're the worst things of your life, the worst moments of your life, so full of guilt and shame, so ridden with guilt and shame, so ridden of bitterness, so ridden of regret. The worst thing that you've ever done, does it still haunt you? Does the worst thing, does it still sting? Does it, is it one of the items on your plate that you try to juggle in hopes that it don't fall off? Because if it falls off, then your whole life is going to crash. Well, guess what? In this moment in the scriptures, Peter has just crashed. He's crashed, he's burned, and, and at the end of it, he doesn't, have, he doesn't have the bravery to look at Jesus. Even though Jesus is looking at him. Jesus isn't looking at him like, how dare you? I can't believe you. Or watch this. Jesus isn't looking at him, waiting for him to look at him so he, he can mouth, I told you so. If Peter would have looked up at the eyes of Jesus, I wonder what he would have saw. Mm-hmm. I wonder what he's seen, the eyes of forgiveness. What he's seen, the eyes of the prodigal son's father, looking back at him with hopeful anticipation, saying, I can't wait till we're one again. I heard what you, I, I know what you did, but we're going to be one again. And honestly, if we, if we can trace it back, really, when Jesus gave that prophecy to Peter, if Peter was really smart, he would have realized, oh, wait, I'm going to fall, but I'm going to get back up. See, so many times the devil loves to just get us to you fail or you're in this pit or you're in this funk, you're in this fog, you're, this, you're here. He loves to make it feel like this right here is all it's ever going to be. And in that moment, Peter, that's all he thought it was ever going to be, amen? amen? That's all he ever thought it was ever going to be. But I love this because the verse literally said that still, even though Peter didn't gaze at him, Jesus gazed at Peter. So even in, the, even in Peter's pit of misery, the Lord is still able to gaze at him. Family, let me tell you something. Your worst moment does not scare God. Your worst moment doesn't scare God. Your worst habits don't scare God. Well, I can prove it. John chapter 6, verse 37. Don't turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. But John 6, 37 literally says, but everyone my father has given to me. This is Jesus saying this. He said, and all who come to me, I will embrace and will never turn them away. Oh, it gets better. Somebody say it gets better. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I love this. I used to pray it and quote it over our family all the time. We all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being. But God will be faithful to you. He will screen and filter the severity, nature, and timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape that will bring you out victoriously. Somebody say it gets better. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined with Jesus. Let me better say it this way. There is no more, therefore, there is no more condemnation to those who love Jesus. Verse 38 and 39, Paul says, so now I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe, nothing in the universe, nothing in the universe with the power to separate you or to separate me from God's love. I'm convinced that his love will triumph over death. The verse says, life's troubles, fallen angels, or dark rulers in the heavens. There is nothing in our present, nothing in our future. 
nothing in our past, no circumstances that can weaken God's love. There is no power above us. There's no power beneath us. There's no power that can ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through Jesus, the anointed one. God still gazes upon you even when you struggle to look at him. Even when you struggle to look at him, he still gazes upon you. Even when you, I'm going to say that, I'm going to say it as much as I want. Even when you struggle to look at him, even when you struggle to muster up the strength to pray, even when you struggle to muster up the strength to open up the scriptures and gaze upon him, even when you struggle to, to sing, you're a good, good father, even when you struggle to, to, to believe that his love, he forsakes all the 99 to pursue you, he still gazes upon you. He still looks intently. He he still looks with hopeful anticipation. He still looks with passion. He still looks with eyes of love. He still looks with forgiveness. He still looks with, I can't wait for me and them to become one again. That's what he looks at. That's his desire. Like, can, I, can I best describe it? Whenever I go to work, and I'll go, I'll go to work when we get done with this, and I'll be thinking as I'm putting packages on door, I'm putting stuff in boxes, I can't wait. Till I get off and I go play with the boys. Don't know what we're going to play. In fact, I already made a promise with Keenan. We're supposed to play hope, uh, some, kind of, some kind of adventure game on his tablet. We played last night. We played this morning. And we, did, we didn't get finished. He's like, well, we didn't get finished. Okay, well, let's play. We'll get off work. So while I'm putting packages on my door, on doors, that's what I'm be looking forward to. That will be my hopeful anticipation, playing some kind of adventure game on the PBS app. But watch this. It will consume my every thought. I'll still be working, but in the back of my mind, I'll there'll be I'll be oh man, I got oh wait, it's almost time. Four packages, almost time to get home to play some kind of adventure game. It will consume my every thought. You are the hopeful anticipation that the Father, Son, and Spirit long for. Lindsay, how do you know? I know so much because He sent His Son. His Son literally was like when Adam and Eve literally. Uh, remove themselves from the union of God by disobeying God. He said, hey, this separation, we don't want this. We don't want this separation. So you know what? They are, and the Bible says that there was already a plan to redeem you before the foundations of the earth. So just like Jesus knew Peter was going to fall, just like the prodigal son's father knew he was going to fall, just like the father knew that Adam and Eve was going to fall. Still, there was already a plan in place, already a plan in place. So that means that the prodigal son's father already had a spot in his heart looking forward to that restoration. I'm giving you this money, but I can't wait for you to come back to me. Not so I can say I told you, I can't wait till till you're back and we can just be one again. And the Bible says till we can eat and celebrate and dance and live and serve and work. And the older brother, he's like, what about me? And he's, the father's like, all, I, I've, all this has always been available for you. You know, it's like this morning, you know, Kalen uh, wanted seconds on his breakfast. I'm like, all right. You know, so give him seconds. And Keenan's like, what? I don't, you know, and then I don't like seconds. So we're like, yeah, you do. You love seconds. But, you know, I thought, you know, I was waiting for him to be like, I didn't know we could get seconds. And then I was going to say you, this is always what, what brother's eating is the available for you. And I thought, oh, man, is that what it was like for the prodigal son's dad? I, I didn't know we could have this. This has always been available. I've, I've set this aside for you. I intentionally 
set it aside for you. I intentionally provided this for you. I intentionally made this available for you. Post Jesus' resurrection in, in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, later Jesus appeared once again to a group of the, his disciples by Lake Galilee. It happened one day with Peter, Thomas, the twin, Nathaniel, from Cana and Galilee, Jacob, John, and two other disciples were all together. Peter told them, I'm going fishing, and they all replied, we'll go with you. So they went out and fished through the night but caught nothing. So I just want to point out two things, and then we'll move on. But I love this because, you know, uh, well, finish in verse 4. Let me finish this. Then at dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was him. So two things. Literally, Peter... Now, you know, just to give you some context, you know, Peter's seen Jesus twice, but they haven't talked about the elephant in the room. You ever, you ever been around somebody, there's this elephant in the room, you just kind of dance around and you ain't saying nothing, they ain't saying nothing, no eye contact. That's kind of the way it is with Peter and Jesus. Jesus mysteriously just, you know, just uh, the Bible says that literally he came through the wall and he was with them, fellowshipping with them. But they didn't talk about it. And imagine Peter's probably like, you know, Hey, you know, just, you know, everybody's laughing, cutting up, loving and hugging. And, you know, Peter's probably off to the side. Like, uh, you know, and, and when Jesus would go to talk to people, Peter, Peter might be made sure he's staying with groups of people. That way he can't have that one-on-one conversation with Jesus. So Peter's still, he's still dwelling in his mistake. He's still dwelling. He's still living in the pit of his misery. Dilly dilly. And I love this because literally it says that even in, the midst of, even in the midst of his turmoil, he defaults to his old programming. He says, I'm going to go fishing. Have you ever been so frustrated before that you go do something? You know, I'm, I'm just going to, I got to get out. Or I got to go drive. Or I got to go full clothes. I got to, that's what Peter is doing. Right? I, I just got to go fishing. You know, and I, and I love this because I want to point out that Peter, he defaulted to his old programming. See, before he met Jesus, he, he relied on fishing. To provide emotionally, physically, and financially. So in this, in this midst of turmoil, he is going back to what he relied on mentally, emotionally, fin- financially, and physically. But can I say this? Your default programming does not scare Jesus. Your default programming does not scare Jesus. In fact, whatever or wherever you're, you default to, Jesus is already there. Whatever you divert back to, Jesus is already there. Lindsay, you can't prove it. He, de- he went back to fishing. And the next morning, Jesus is on the rocks. I, I found you. I found you. I mean, we sang it earlier. There's no shadow he won't light up. No mountain he won't climb up. There's no ocean that you can sail to that he that try to fish your, fish your life away. And he's, he, he's still standing on the shore. Hey, hey, I found you. I'm here, but they don't realize that it's Jesus. And point number two is I love the fact that Peter, he decides to default to his default programming. I'm going fishing. I just got to go. And the disciples say, okay, we're coming too. I'm like that. See, church, if we're being honest, us as Jesus followers, we should be the same way. No son or daughter of God left behind. When you see your brother or sister diverting back to their default programming, hey, hey, where you? I'm coming too. I remember when we was in Bible college, that was one of the things that Ms. Zona and Pastor Craig and a bunch of others preach, accountability. Accountability is the best ability. And there will be several times that me, and I know I tell a lot of stories of me, Peyton T., and Nick always getting into mischief for the Lord. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know what? We, weren't, we were never by ourselves. 
when somebody was down, the three of us picking them up. When another person was down, you got three others picking them up. When two were down, you got two picking them up. There'd be times literally go over, go over the house and Peyton just be in a funk. I teach reading scripture. I'm like, T, what scripture are you reading? So then I tag team and well, here we go. Or if it'd be Nick or if it would T, or there'd be times where I would be in a funk. Hey, Lynn, hey, hey, hey. Come on, man. Your grandmama raised you better than that. I met, I met your granny. Peyton, Peyton be like, I'm family. I could call her granny. All y'all call her grandma or Miss Arnett, but I call her granny. Come on, great. What what granny say? Church, we should, be, we should be having that same type of heart. Watch this. We should have that same type of heart even if we don't get along with the people. Because right. at the end of the day, every individual has been created by the Father. Amen. No son or daughter of God left behind. Can we move past our, our traditions? Can we move past our, our inclinations? Can we move past our biases? Can we move past our fear of germs, fear of their cooties, and say, you know what? Where are you going? I'm coming too. Your heart is special. Well, why are you, why are you coming? Because you need somebody in your life that's going to remind you that God is pursuing you at all times. That God wants, to, God wants you to sit at the table with him. God wants to sit at the table with you. God wants a face-to-face relationship with you. God will run to the furthest corner of the earth in order to be with you. God will climb up to the highest mountain in order to be with you. David said it best. He said, I can go to the highest mountain and still your presence is there. I can go to the furthest valley. I can make my bed in hell. And guess what? Jesus is like, better yet, I'll go there for you. And when there's nowhere else left to go, I will ascend and I'll bring you up with me. Who do we know that needs that type of representation in their life? Who do, who, what, what, what family member do you know that needs to hear that message today? What, family, what, what co-worker do you know that needs to hear that message tomorrow? Not just hear it with your words, but see it with your actions. Amen. And I love this because in verse 5, in verse 5 through 17, says, Jesus called out to them saying, hey, guys, did you catch any fish? Not a thing, they replied. Jesus shouted to them, throw your net over the, uh, the starboard side and you'll catch some. And so they did this. As he said, they caught so many fish that they couldn't even pull it into the net. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. I love how John just gives himself a little, you know. If I was riding the star, I probably would have the same thing. The disciple who Jesus loved, he's the one that recognized it was the Lord. I just think that's interesting and funny. When Peter heard him say that, he quickly wrapped his outer garment around him. Because he was athletic, he dove right into the lake to go to Jesus. The other disciples then brought the boat to shore, dragging their catch of fish. They weren't far from land, only about 100 meters. And when they got to shore, they noticed a charcoal fire with some roasted fish and bread. And then Jesus said, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Peter waded in the water and helped pull the net to shore. It was full of many large fish, exactly 153. But even with so many fish, the net was not torn. Amen. Amen. Verse 12, come, let's have some breakfast, Jesus said to them. That's my type of Lord right there. Let's have some breakfast. That's my favorite meal. Shoo, buddy. Let, let Jesus say, Lindsay, let's have some bread. Okay, okay, Jesus. Waffles and that. Holy syrup, what you, what you want to do, Lord? I'm about it. All right. And now one of the disciples needed to ask who it was because every one of them knew it was him. Then Jesus came close to them and served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. 
After they had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, and son of Jonah, do you burn with love for me more than these? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my lambs, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Verse 16, Jesus repeated his question the second time. Simon, son of Jonah, do you burn with love for me? Peter answered, yes, my Lord, you know that I have, grief, I have great affection for you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And then verse 17, Jesus then asked him again, Peter, son of Jonah, do you have great affection for me? Peter was saddened by being asked the third time. Why was he saddened? Because he knew, okay, you know, the first time, yeah, Lord, I love you. I'll, I'll feed your sheep. Second time, Lord, you heard me. I love you. I'll feed your sheep. Third time, ah, so you know. And I love this because Jesus, he said it without saying, saying it. He said it without saying it. He, he didn't say, hey, Peter, I told you he was going to deny me three times. I told you. Peter, I told you. Peter, why didn't you listen to me? Peter, why are you still jumping on the bed? Why did you? Boy, stop. Peter, you broke your arm twice. You knew. I told you. Stop running in the house. No, he didn't do all that. Talking about me. In case you didn't know. But instead, he, 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 he challenges him with a mission. Instead of berating him, instead of judging him, he gives him a purpose. Hey, hey do you love me? Okay, well, feed my sheep. Hey, by him saying, do you love me? Hey, what's the state of your heart? Well, yeah, Lord, I love you. Okay, well, okay, I, I got an assignment for you. I need you to feed my sheep. I need you to strengthen the faith of your brothers. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I said I love you. Okay, I, I need you to feed my sheep. This assignment I want you to do, okay? Peter, do you love me? Oh, man. And Peter got saddened, and Peter could have Peter could have been like, so you know. And instead, Jesus is, instead of Jesus being like, now that you recognize the third time, let's talk about it. No, Jesus again says, what's the state of your heart? Lord, I, I, I really do love you. Okay, well, I have an assignment for you. And I love this because in that, and that there's so much that happens. But Peter was saddened by asking the third time. And the Lord says, you know everything. Or Peter says, you know everything. You know that I bum with love for you. Jesus replied, then feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. I love this because how fitting is it that by a fire, Peter denied Jesus three times? How fitting is it? Now, we said that, you know, we sang there earlier how literally he will, there's no wall that he won't kick down. There's no, there's no, there's no lie that he won't tear down. To come after you. He will literally, he is so, he is so smooth. Unlike my one coworker, he is super smooth. Unlike Michael Jackson, he is so smooth that he will recreate the scenario and the, the exact type of setting that Peter abandoned him. He created the exact type of setting to restore Peter. Because we see that by a fighter, Peter is denying Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. How fitting is it that by fire, Peter would be restored three times? Not once, not twice, but three times. How fitting that on the Passover, they were eating and fellowshipping and celebrating the Passover lamb. How fitting is it now that Peter and all the disciples were now fellowshipping with the Passover lamb over a feast, over breakfast? How fitting that over a meal, he was told that he would run away from God. And now over another meal, he is being received one with God again. That's how smooth God is. 
Jesus never, he never beat Peter up. He never preached, I told you so. He never was, he never was uh, petty or sarcastic or bitter. He never, he never threw stones at Peter. Instead, instead of shaming him for running away, he embraced him. He, he, instead of shaming him, instead of pushing him aside, he, hey, 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 pull, pull up a seat, Peter. Let's see some breakfast. You ever ate a meal with your enemy? You know, science has proven that, you know, if you, you know, in order to, that, that's where one of the, that's where, that's one of the reasons the whole break bread becomes so popular, the phrase break bread. You know, I remember <clears throat> I, was, I was watching a documentary and, uh, uh, on Quincy Jones. And, you know, uh, they, one part of the documentary that talked about back in the 90s where there was the whole uh, Big and Tupac beef. And right after both artists were killed, literally Quincy held a meeting within the industry. And, and uh, you know, basically it was supposed to serve as Switzerland. It was supposed to be neutral ground. And, you know, they talked about, you know, it made the press. It was in the newspapers. It was all over. It was all over TV because back there there wasn't, back then it wasn't internet. And literally, he talked, the, they interviewed him and said, what's your purpose of having all these artists that do not get along? He said, well, we need to break bread. Because that was a sign of coming together and, and, and becoming one again. Jesus literally, hey, hey, come, let's, let's, break, let's, let's break some bread. Let's, let's eat. Let's become one again. Instead of making him jump through hoops. Instead of checking his dress code, instead of checking his attire, hey, hey, the, your tea is a little crooked. Let's let's straighten that up. You need to dot that. No, hey, come come sit down. Let's eat some breakfast. As they're eating, hey, hey, Peter, you love me. What, what what's your heart look like? Hey, I'm so glad you do. I got an assignment for you. Oh, okay. What's that? Feed my sheep. Okay. Hey, hey, Peter, do you, do you still love me? Right. Lord, you know I love you. Okay, I, I, I really need you to feed my sheep. I really want you to feed my sheep. Peter, do you still love me? Lord, my heart bums for love for you. That I want you to feed my sheep. And when he said that the third time, I'm pretty sure Peter, of all the things he thought about, one of the things he was reminded of where Peter, where Jesus literally prophesied and told him, once you're restored, I want you to strengthen the faith of your brothers. So Peter's reminded of, oh, snap, I have a future in this. Notice that he was reminded of his future through the subtlety of a meal with Jesus. Not the, not the, not the, the hoops, not the Pentecostal hoops, not the, not the shouting, not the braiding, not the fist flying, not all the I told you so's, but it was the subtlety of just sitting down beside Jesus, looking into his eyes, face to face with him. See, in Genesis, when it says, the, or in John, when it says the word was uh, with God, that word with is, is foss, and that word foss means face-to-face. So Peter is literally benefiting of being one with God. He's face-to-face with him, and what happens when he's face-to-face with him? He is restored. He is made whole. He is healed. That's what we talked about a few weeks ago, why you need to be gazing at Jesus, because there is something, there is, there is a work that will happen in your heart when you find yourselves face to face with God. The turmoil, the trauma, the drama, the insecurities, the, 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 the desperation, the, the depression, the anxiety, all these different things, they begin to be restored. You begin to be restored back to your original state when you're face to face with Jesus. 
Why? Because guess what? Jesus is so powerful enough that there was no way that Peter was going to sit beside Jesus, sharing a meal with him and him not be restored. Why? Because that's how good God is. Why? Because literally Jesus is the one. Father is the one that literally runs to the edge of the road. We say in the earlier, but he is the one that will literally tear down every lie. And, and in this conversation, he tore down every lie that Peter thought of himself. Amen. Man, wow. Man, I, I can't believe I forsake God. He's, he's probably never going to accept me again. Oh, no. Not only did he accept him, he gave him a job. He gave him purpose. He gave him restoration. Let me close with this. He gave him Restoration. Literally, Jesus said, grab you a seat and let's eat. Grab you a seat, let's eat. Why? Because Jesus desired oneness and desired union. He desired face-to-face fellowship with Peter. Can I tell you something? That, that's his desire with us. When's the last time you just, uh, metaphorically, when's the last time you just had a meal with him? Or better yet, when, when's the last time you were eating a meal and instead of pulling out your phone, and it's easy for me, Sit at the table, okay, while I'm pulling my phone. Don't stop, stop shaking your head. Pull out my phone, you know, I just go to another world until I hear daddy, and then I'm back. (laughs) And then I'm back. But instead of pulling out the phone when you're eating, you know, as as you're eating some general souls and an egg roll, hey, hey, Papa, you know I love you, right? I love you, Lord. Lord, thank you so much for this meal. Hey, Lord, is, is there anything that I need to know? Is there anything that you feel like I need to know right now? And then just go about eating. And let them put it on your heart. And you, you, may, not, you may not hear nothing. You may not feel nothing. It's not about what you feel. If we were going, if, if Jesus was purely based off of feeling, then, you know, you, we, we would all think that Jesus was with us the moment we stuck our finger in a socket. Oh, that's Jesus. You know, if you think that, go, go try it. There's a socket right over there. I, I, just, I just feel the anointing for you to just, no, don't do it. Don't do it. But you may not feel anything. You may not sense anything. But you know what you have done? You've provided the space. And guess what? Jesus isn't one where he's like, you know, you invite him and you're like, Lord, you know, this, this time right here, yeah. I just, I just give to you. He's not sitting up in heaven like, ah, you know. All right, we're, we're going to hit him back next week, Father. We're going to check with him tomorrow. We're going to test him and see. In fact, when Jesus told Peter that you're going to be tested, he said Satan is going to test you. And I had this in my notes. I didn't say it, but Jesus never tests us. Now, he will filter the test. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul said that he, he, he checks the severity of the test. He checks to see, is this something that they can handle? If not, then there is a way of escape that's provided for us. But he doesn't test you. God doesn't test you. What kind of good father tests you? What kind of good father would I be if I test Kellen and Keenan and Cohen? Hey, do they love me? Let me leave them in the parking lot for about five minutes by themselves and see if they cry out for me. Then why do we think God does that to us? Why do we think God tests us? He said, if an if a earthly father gives good gifts, how much more will your heavenly father? I don't care what denomination has told you. That's just common sense. God will not test you. And we have denominations growing up. We have plenty of people that have taught or preached or hooped and hollered, but God does not test you. 
I don't care if you don't get anything else. Say, God is not in the business of testing you. He's in the business of hopefully anticipating that you will partake of the oneness that he has achieved at the cross for you. The oneness that he went down into the grave and brought back. The oneness that he ascended to heaven literally sits on the Father interceding for you daily. He's waiting like, man, I can't wait for them just to take advantage of this oneness and, re- and, just, and just bring me face to face with them. Bring me face to face with them. So I can show them who they truly are. So I can heal their hurt. So I can heal their burdens. So I, in fact, what does the Bible say? Jesus says that I will take your burdens. I love my friends, but you know what? There's some, there's some problems they got that I'm like, whoo, we're just going to pray about. I can't, I can't take that. I don't want it, <laughs> but I'll pray for you. Jesus. And we're all like that, unfortunately. But Jesus is the friend that sits closer to the brother. He's the friend that's saying, what's your worst problem? I'll take it. What's your worst thought? I'll take it. What's your worst regret? I'll take it. It don't even have to be the worst. Like, what, hey, hey, what are you dwelling on? I'll take it. Here, let's do the trade. I keep saying, let's do the trade. I'll take what you got and you take what, whoo, you take what I got. You take what I got. What does he have? Peace that surpasses all understanding. We sang it earlier. Love that's so unexplainable. That's what he has. The sense of love that you can't even explain it, but you know at the bottom or in the back of your mind that you are loved. You are the beloved of God. And there's nothing that separates you. Love that's so unexplainable that you believe it when, when Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that there's nothing that separates you from the love of God. There's no thought. There's no demon. There's no fallen angel. There's no heavenly angel. There's no doctrine. There's no denomination. There's no past uh, its girlfriend. There's no past mistake. There's no past drinking problem. There's no past cursing problem. There's no current cursing problem. There's no current drinking problem. There's no current addiction. There's no current deformation. There's no current depression. There's no current disease that separate you from the love of God. He wants to restore you to the place where you believe that you are one with him and he is one with you, that everywhere you walk, he is walking with you. He wants to restore you to the place where you believe that in him you live, in him you move, in him is your entire existence. There is no moment of your life that you are without him. There's there's no moment of life that you're without his protection. There's no moment of life that you are without his provision. There's no moment of your entire existence that you are without the Lord that's what he that, that that's the whole purpose of him walking with you hey I I, I want to be one with you when I and I promise I'm close when I go to Montessori I, uh, we always joke about this because I don't know it's just I, I do it when whenever I stop by Montessori the kids bless their hearts they just see a new face and it's, for some reason, a new body, it's attractive. Hey, they want to hug. They just want to be one with me in that moment. I'm like, I hey, let's, let's go be one with the room. Get back over there. Go back over there. Now, when Keenan comes up, Daddy, I, I, I want to be one with my son. So what do I do? I don't just, hey, buddy. I don't just, hey, buddy. Nope. Pick him up. Let them legs wrap around me. He's learned. He's learned that Daddy is the one that he can wrap his legs around. And watch this. When they hug me incorrectly, we stop and we start over. That ain't how you hug me. And it's funny because when Kellen's around his friends, he'll kind of hug me like when I went to eat lunch with him Thursday at Kaywood. Love you, buddy. Love you. No, uh-uh. Hey, mm-mm. that's not how you hug daddy. <laughs> so what does he do? 
Stretch those arms wide. Woo. Stretch those arms wide, church, and wraps them around my neck as tight as he can. And you know what his father does? Wraps his arms around his whole little body. I give him a gentle squeeze because I know, you know, these guns might crush him. But I give him, I, I let him know that, hey, this that you feel, this will all, this is the way I always feel about you. When Keenan jumps and wraps his legs around me, I, I give it right back. So they know, hey, this is how my father feels about me. Cohen, Cohen does it. Cohen gives, that's what he does when he hugs me. You say squeeze. Ugh. He knows. When daddy comes in the room, daddy, daddy. Why? Because he knows his daddy feels that way about him. Do you know how the father feels about you? Not just this morning because everything's going good and we're at church, but when the bills are due, do you know how the father feels about you? When you have no money, when people are getting on your nerves, when life isn't fair, do you know how the father feels about you? Lindsay, how's that going to relate to my life? Once Peter found out how, the, how Jesus felt about him, he knew how the father felt about him, and he was restored. But watch this. He, he realized that he was already restored because he was restored what, through what Jesus did at the cross. And Jesus prophesied it to him before he went to the cross, back when they were eating a meal. He said, hey, when you're restored, I need you to go feed my sheep. I need you to strengthen the faith of your brothers. And looking back at it, I, I'm pretty sure Peter could have been like, you know what? You told me I was going to be restored. And just like the devil, hey, who, who told you he was made in the image of God? If Adam and Eve could have looked back at it, they would have, hey, no, no, no. We were always made in the image of God. If Peter could have looked back at, looked back at it and be like, oh, no, I, I, yes, I was going to fall, but I was always going to be restored. I was always going to give a purpose, be given a purpose. And Jesus realized that, you know what? Yeah, you're going to fall. You're going to be restored. How are you going to be restored? Because I'm going to come to you in the midst of your fallen state, in the midst of you beating yourself up. I'm going to go to where you are, and I'm going to make a space for you. And we're going to sit down, and we're going to eat a meal, and we're going to talk. And our faces are going to get right next to each other. You're going to gaze upon me, and I'm going to gaze upon you. And we talked about it before. You become what you behold. So if you are becoming more of a person that is full of anxiety, and then you're beholding some things that are feeding your anxiety. If you're becoming more of a person that is full of just trauma, you haven't got rid of trauma, you haven't got rid of drama, you haven't got rid of bitterness, you have all the, then you're beholding the wrong things. Church, I'm encouraging you this week. You know what? I, you got to start beholding Jesus. You got to start gazing upon him. You got to start opening up the scriptures and just, okay, even if it's the same chapter you read, even if it's the same two verses that you read yesterday or the day before, or even if it's this, this story that we went over, Lord, I, Lord, I just got to see you again. Even if it's Luke 15, I can't tell you how many times I look over Luke 15 and remind myself, even in the midst of things that I don't like going on in my life. All right, Father, that's you. You're the one that's running to me. You're the one that's pursuing me. You're the one that's making all things available for me. Until I see it play out in my life. Until you see it play out in your life. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, thank you so much for today.